Welcome to the Catalyst Podcast. This episode, entitled Perishing, Earth, Heaven, Hell, was given on January 6, 2019 by Bethany Shea in the series From the Ashes. So, uh, does anybody know what today is? Not the date. In the church calendar. Anybody know? Epiphany. Epiphany. Yes. So today's Epiphany, which is uh, the global church, like the church throughout the whole world, celebrates, oftentimes they celebrate a, a certain kind of rhythm to the life of the church. And today's rhythm is called Epiphany. It is, it means like, the, it means the moment that uh, Jesus Christ was revealed to people that aren't Jewish. It was, Epiphany is the moment in the Christmas story where we see that God is not just for the Hebrew people, but for all people. And the way that that comes about is when the wise men appear. So yes, the decorations are still up because I didn't get to taking them down. And so you guys are all staying afterwards to help me take it down. But also because it's Epiphany and it's still Christmas. And so why not keep them up? <laughs> uh, anyway, so it's, it's this beautiful story of these three or multiple, more than three people, uh, arriving from really far away. And they're arriving to find Jesus and to bring Jesus gifts to bring the king that they are anticipating gifts. And the gifts that they bring, and we're not going to read that story today because we did it during Advent, but the, the gifts that they brought was gold, which I believe represents wealth and power. So it's almost like they were laying down their wealth and power before this king, this child. Uh, they brought frankincense, which is a type of incense that is used in worship, and so it's almost like they were laying down their attention and laying down their worship towards this king. And then they brought myrrh, which was an ointment that was used on corpses to prepare them for burial. Almost like them saying, I am laying down my very body until death for you. There's this way of, of releasing all things in their lives for the, the worship of this, this king that they have no idea what this king will be like in any other way. And these magi, or these wise men, these important men, were from far away. They traveled a very long and difficult journey to get to where they wanted to get. They probably traveled for months and months till they, till they got to Bethlehem. And for some brave and probably very foolish reason in some ways, they chose to leave their homes, and they chose to leave their livelihoods and their families because they had a holy curiosity about what was happening in the world based on a star that they saw in the sky. And this holy curiosity made it so they followed this star as it kept moving, and every day they would follow it. They would follow the light in the midst of the darkness. They chose to leave because they had a holy curiosity to follow this light. And I don't know if they lived nocturnally and they're just like, hey, we only travel at night so we can keep seeing the star or if the star like shone bright enough to blot out the sun during the day, but they left everything because of a holy curiosity, regardless of how they got there. And oftentimes, I don't know about you, but for me growing up in a, in a pretty conservative church, I, I felt like churches have created fences or they've created borders to keep out that holy curiosity or those holy questions. And I think sometimes this is a sad reality that many of us have probably grown up with. Our questions and our wonderings of this divine mystery have been quietly hushed or stopped in their tracks with confident answers to where 
Sometimes we might not even feel safe to question or even hold on to those holy curiosities and use the Magi as an example of why we seek him in all things. There was a man around the time of Jesus' life just to show that this holy curiosity has been around since way before the evangelical church ever came into America. That, that, that there was this, this man who, had, who was part of this highly religious elite society and all of his friends and all of his co-workers had all the answers to all the questions about God and the world and what it meant to be a really good Jewish person. And he was a Pharisee, which means that he was an expert in God's laws and an expert in God's rules, and yet he still felt this gnawing hunger that there had to be more than all the right answers, all the right times. And he had this holy curiosity that couldn't be met within the religious structures and the ritualistic temple that he was accustomed to. And he was probably curious that if he, if he did voice his curiosities, if he did voice his wonders and his, and his questions, maybe he would be met with doubt and disdain from his co-workers because maybe he wouldn't be pharisaical enough in his beliefs. And so he gathers up his courage and he leaves everything behind like the Magi and he travels at night because he's seeking light. So turn with me to John chapter 3. We have uh, been in John 3.16, the one verse, since the beginning of the school year. <laughs> and we probably will never get out of it. <laughs> uh, we've taken like different Sundays off and had different people come through and speak here. And then we took all of Advent away from it. But we, I do really want to wrap up this series before we go into the next season of our life of, as a church. Um, and yeah. Yeah, so maybe like three to five weeks left on this, I think is what I'm thinking. <laughs> You're like, oh no, how can we make it go that far? Well, I will show you today. <laughs> uh, so actually, I want to read uh, John 3, verses 1 to 17. Can somebody read that for us? Does somebody would be willing to read it? <clears throat> Thanks, Haley. Yeah. All right. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter the second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You, sh you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into the heavens except the one who has come from heaven. Just as Moses lifted up the snake, 
whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So when I see that that small little verse hit like tucked in with this enormous teaching that's happening here, I have oftentimes gotten really stuck on the word perish. And I often get times get stuck on that word because it doesn't feel like there's goodness and light of God in that word. I always forget that it says shall not beforehand, but I get really stuck on that word perish. And so I I oftentimes have like that holy curiosity of what it means. And I feel like, you know, if we're going to be in epiphany, we should probably talk about hell because that makes sense. We're not going to talk about hell today. We were, but now we're going to do it next week. This is why it's taking longer than it probably should because now we're going to talk about hell next week. Anybody else have any holy curiosities like that where you're like looking at a scripture passage or something in the Bible and you're just like, I don't under, I don't get this. This doesn't co- go in line with my understanding of the world or how I've seen God work in the world. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? All the time. All the time. And I think if we just swallow what we've been taught so often and not actually sit in the text and allow that discomfort to exist, then then we're never growing in our faith. We're just kind of in a a place of stagnance. And, And I think God is constantly wanting us to have that sense of discomfort because the more discomfort we have, the more we lean into God even deeper. So I like sitting in those sorts of spaces, especially when I'm with the rest of you in those sorts of spaces. Now, there's stuff we're going to go through that you might agree with, you might disagree with, and that's part of like being a part of a community. We don't always agree on everything when it comes to how we interpret the Bible. Uh, we believe in Jesus as being the, the savior of the world, and that's where we like stake our claim. That's where we That's the hill that we would die on, that Jesus is is the savior of the world. But there's a lot of nuances that come about in our interpretation. And so as I go through some of these things, if you have questions, if you're frustrated, if you're like, that doesn't make any sense, I need clarification, or if you have other thoughts, there's three by five cards on your seats, and I want you just to like write them down. And I don't know if we'll be able to get to them this week. We might get to them next week. Um, they might be something that you just want to look in your own uh, devotional time and time with Christ this week. But um, go ahead and write those down as we go if you feel like something needs to be going. All right. Good? Okay. So when I look at the word perish and we think of hell, it's really important before we get to our understanding of hell, we have to look at what the Bible talks about, heaven. And oftentimes when we think of the word perishing, we think of heaven and hell. But more specifically, just hell. But if I was to ask what the counterpart to heaven is, oftentimes we would say, well, the counterpart to heaven is hell. But that's not actually true. That's not what the Bible teaches. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be all over the Bible today. Um, And you're welcome just to listen if you want, or you can turn with me. Uh, There's Bibles throughout the room. If you don't have a Bible, it's yours. You're welcome to mark in it. You can keep it. If you know somebody who needs a Bible, um, you can take it for them. So Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we see heaven and earth there. Now flip to 2, Genesis 2, verse 1. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And then verse 4, 
in chapter 2, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. I want to stop right there. I think what's really fascinating about chapter 2, verses 1 and verses 4, is that we see that phrase heaven and earth three times. The Greek language or the Hebrew language didn't have any kinds of um, exclamation points or bolding the text or letting you know this is really important in the way that it was it was designed. The, the way that they created the sense of importance, of like, don't, don't let go of how important this is, was by writing it in threes. So to know how holy God is, what does the Bible say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So with, what is happening here and what we need to anchor ourselves in is this reality that heaven and earth are joined together in unity. That when God created all things, there was a unification that happened. Nowhere in the Bible do we have heaven and hell together. They are always heaven and earth together. Okay, so it's really important that we have that space. And so consistently, you see heaven and earth together. And the common teaching that I've heard growing up over and over in my own life, and maybe you have as well, is that when you die... You stand before the pearly gates and St. Peter or Jesus or God or somebody of great importance is standing there in judgment to look at your life and make sure that you can go into one or two places. And the way that it works is um, I've heard it being like there's a lifetime movie of your life playing on the wall and all your friends and family members, everybody who knows you is standing behind you and Jesus or Peter is up there and they're all watching the movie of your life and all the good things you did and all the really terrible things and all the secretive things that you're like, no one should have known about that. And they're all standing there judging you and that's like, this is what's been told to me. I've got a lot of emotional, spiritual baggage. And then I've also heard the story of like, okay, so you after you die, you're in front of the pearly gates and you get some sort of multiple choice test with a scantron and an essay question, which feels a little bit like you're already in hell at that point. <laughs> and then you have to like do your best on it and look at your life over the course of like a microscope in a sort of way. And then at the very end, you are then chosen, you have to go to one or two places. There's a judgment and you either end up in heaven or you end up in hell. Is the essay question open book or closed? <laughs> it depends if you see the movie first. <laughs> if the movie first, then it's definitely open book. <laughs> But this is not what the Bible teaches. And, and I don't know if, if, if this is how it was taught to you in any way, but it, that's how it was taught to me, especially in youth group. And, it, and I, feel like, I feel like I was misled in a lot of ways in that sense. And I think, I think we've been misled as Christians because for many of us, we have been taught that it is our responsibility to lead people to Jesus. And while I believe that we have the greatest gift in the world through Jesus Christ living within us, this is an amazing gift, so of course we'd want to share it. And of course we are, we are designed and, and chosen by God to share this gift with every single person we come in contact with. There's this idea that says that people won't choose Christ unless there's some sort of horrible opposite choice. Like, choose Jesus or burn in hell forever. And it's great marketing if we're looking to get a certain amount of converts in the, into the faith. If we're looking for, like, 
things to check off on, on a piece of paper that we're sending up to some higher sort of authority in another church somewhere that shows that we have this many more people that have been led to Christ. It's great for that. But it's horrible marketing if we're actually trying to make disciples of Jesus Christ for their entire lives. Yeah. There's this pastor that I love, and he's, he passed away a few years ago. His name is Dallas Willard, and he talks about this type of thinking that is based on this common uh, altar call that's given at youth retreats or church services. And, and, and it's this way of Western Christianity thinking that where we've made the whole story of the Bible into what happens after you die. And so you've, maybe you've been at a place like this, and the pastor says, with your eyes closed, and your head's bowed, I need to ask, do you know where you're going to go if you die tonight? Have you ever had that? Yeah. Where Where do you? Where will you end up if you die tonight? Scary church camp. Scary, yeah, scary church camp. <laughs> and, but Dallas Willard asks a different question that I feel is even more difficult, almost, the weightier question, and he asks, if you don't die tonight, what are you going to do tomorrow? What are you going to do tomorrow? And he asks a question of discipleship, of of living on earth in the ways of Jesus to bring worship and honor and glory to God, of bringing heaven to earth. And I think sometimes when we look at discipleship, we've had these ideas that discipleship looks like more programs and more uh, sorts of retreats and all of these different things. But really, discipleship is simply pairing yourself with somebody else and, and walking this world together, walking this life together with Jesus in the first thought of your mind encouraging the other person, doing life together, eating dinners together, raising your children together, folding laundry together. It's those simple, basic things of life. That's what discipleship looks like. And yes, we can hone our faith coming to church. We can hone in our our faith by going to Bible studies and all these different things. But discipleship is this daily walk with other people in the path of Jesus Christ. And I think we've we've gotten taught so much fear of hell, that it's made us not able to see heaven as clearly. And oftentimes we understand hell wrong because we've understood understood heaven and earth incorrectly. And so if we want to get to the word perish, shall not perish, we have to understand, understand heaven and earth in a different way. So a lot of times with different teachings, what we do here, sometimes it's like a teaching that's like more on discipleship. Sometimes it's more about like what's going on in our hearts. And I'm like wanting to shepherd your heart or whoever's leading is like giving us a different kind of teaching for whatever it is that God has placed on them. Today is kind of a little bit more heady in its nature. Hopefully um, God will put some sort of conviction in there because I don't know if I'll be able to get that today, which, you know, I'm not supposed to anyway. That's God's job anyway. Uh, but again, if you have any questions or thoughts or anything, write them down. If you feel like there's something important to express, then maybe we can get to that really soon in the service. A lot of the scriptures that I'm getting today about this sense of holy curiosity um, and what God is doing in the world, 
I, I got a lot from a pastor that I follow. Uh, he's my he's my pastor from my home church um, named Mike Erie, and uh, he put a lot of this together. So I always want to give credit to the people who are way smarter than me and doing way more work than I am, uh, and I think it's always important to do that. So in the biblical narrative, we see in that creation story the holy, 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 heaven and earth, heaven and earth, heaven and earth, that sort of grounding of heaven and earth being together. And that story of creation is one where God is not in heaven and people are on earth. We see this God who walks in the cool of the day with his creation. There is a heaven and earth melded together in perfect unity, in this beautiful, beautiful unity. And then what we see within the same story is that humanity decides to choose a path away from God. They don't trust that God has the best things for them. And they begin to not trust God. And in that untrusting, there's a separation that happens between heaven and earth. And in that story, what we see is that God curses the ground, showing that there is now forever going to be a separation of heaven and earth. And then what you see at later on, and what we'll look at as we go on, is that there's, there's, that sep- there's the creation, there's the unity, there's this fall and separation, and then there's this judgment, this final judgment, and then there's a reunification of heaven and earth, which we'll get to in just a bit. So we see this separation happen, and what you see in Psalm 115, verse 16, you don't need to turn there necessarily, but it says that the highest heavens belong to the Lord, and the earth was given to mankind. Another way of showing this separation that has happened. So God's realm is now in the heavens. And humans are now separated on earth. And there's this distinction between the two, where in the beginning God created, everything was good, everything was right. Now now there's this separation between the two. And, and, And that division or that separation between the two, what would we call that between heaven and earth? What would we call sex trafficking? What would you call murder and rape and racism? Or what would you call child abuse and elder neglect or a manipulative relationship that is causing such turmoil and toxicity in your life? What do we call that? Yeah, that turning away. I I call it hell. I call it hell. That, That separation of heaven and earth where things are not right in the world, where there's such pain and suffering Man, that's like that distance between heaven and hell, or heaven and earth, that that distance and uh, the destructive realities of creation is, is hell. And the hardest part that I come to terms with in this, in this sort of a space is how we sometimes participate in hell existing. There are times in our lives where we have been victims but there have been times in our lives where we have done the victimizing. There are times in our lives where we have been oppressed, but there have been times in our lives and in our history and in our families where we have been the oppressors. And the Bible talks about that reality of sinner and saint at the same time, being totally set free while still living in a world that is captured by sin. So turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, and uh, Second Peter is right after First Peter, uh, James is right before that, and then we've got like 1, 2, 3, John behind Second Peter. So it's in the back of the New Testament.
Is everybody good? You guys all with me still? Am I boring the heck out of you? <laughs> okay, sweet. Awesome. Okay, cool. Uh, so Second Peter will be in chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 6 and go to 13. Um, and this is really thick stuff. I'm not going to get into the details of this necessarily, but I want it. Anyway, uh, verse 6 says, By these waters also the world of that time was deluged. Del- how do you say that? Deluged? Deluged, which means flooded and destroyed. So this is talking about, really quick, it's talking about Noah and the flood. So when the flood in that story, in that Old Testament story of Noah and the flood and the flood, co- the waters covered the whole earth, was the earth destroyed? Did it, was it annihilated? Was everything gone forever? No. So I think it's really important for us to, to ground ourselves in that sense of destruction, looking like a new thing appearing, but not in the destruction where everything is gone, because it's, I think that's important. So by these waters, also the world of that time was flooded and destroyed. <laughs> by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed speed its coming. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. All right. Last night I was looking at like all the Greek in this and everything and my brain just started to melt away. So I'm not going to get into a lot of like, I don't have, I don't have time to do this, this text justice. There's so much here that I, that, um, it's really important, but I can't get into. But what I want to show here is this reconciliation of heaven and earth. This sense that anything that was once separated is now bound together with a new heaven and a new earth. And anything that doesn't align with God's purposes and God's kingdom is removed and destroyed. This is like some sort of future perspective that God has for his creation. And Paul writes about this again and again. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. So it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And we'll read verses 19 and 20. It says, you guys good? For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him being Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, not some things, not just the only good things, not the best of the best things or the perfection of things, all things, whether on things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Okay, turn with me to Ephesians, two chapters over. Ephesians chapter 1.
And we'll start right above verse 9 and go to verse 10. It says, With all wisdom and understanding, God made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. God's will, Paul is saying, is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Can you turn me to Romans chapter 8? It's a few chapters to the left again. Um, And we'll read verses 19 to 21. It says, for the, creation await, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. All right. What he's saying there is that when you are rescued, like when you give your life over to Jesus Christ as your rescuer, as your savior, as the Lord of your life, the earth becomes rescued too. Your rescuing causes good things for the earth. And I believe that that's because we then cause good things for the earth. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah talks about a future hope of a new heaven and a new earth. The last book of the Bible, Revelation, it talks about, uh, the writer is talking about a new heaven and a new earth again would be established. And within that heaven and earth, there would be no sea. And for those of us who love bodies of water in the ocean, we're like, well, that sounds terrible. But the sea at that point, for the ancient peoples, it represented all things evil. And so the writer is saying that there will be no evil left on this place and that God, God's dwelling place will now be on earth. So oftentimes the, the story I heard and the stories I read in like the Left Behind series and stuff like that was this sense, I know, also another uh, theological trauma. Um, the, the, there was the story of, of humans being whisked away, Christians being whisked away into heaven and join God up there. But the story of the Bible is one where God comes to earth. The biblical story is not one of heaven and hell, but of God coming down and dwelling with humans forever. And this is not some sort of like, Human dwelling, where it's this perpetual church service the rest of our lives. I love our church here, but I don't want to be in church the rest of my life. I just don't. It's not like that. It's like, think of the thing that you guys do that you look that you lose track of time in. Like, what's that thing? Maybe it's like as simple as knitting or reading, or maybe it's going on a walk or when you're in the pool or whatever it is that makes you just like lose track of time and you look at it and you're like, I can't believe three hours just passed. It feels like minutes that's what it will be like in eternity with God. The church, yes. The sense of continual, perpetual enjoyment of God. So what does this mean for us today? Because this question isn't so much about where you will go after you die. I think that that's an important question, absolutely. Absolutely. But it's about how you will live if you don't die. 
How will you live the rest of your day into tomorrow, into the rest of your life? Because God didn't just provide a way for humans to die. God provided a way for humans to live. And the way of Jesus is a way of grace. It is a life of grace where we bring all that heaven represents to this earth. And this kingdom of heaven is one where we we crave God's judgment, not in the sense of condemnation that we usually think of, but God's judgment is actually one of justice. It's, it's where we, we know that things aren't right in this world. We feel it in our own hearts. We feel it in the, the, the world around us. We see it on the news. We know that things aren't right in this world. And we felt it in the pain of abuse in our own lives. We, we felt it in the scars that we bear because of what other people have done to us and the scars that we've caused other people. Like, we've seen that. And we've felt it. We've lived in grief. We sit in loss. But we also know that these scars and this injustice and this loss isn't the end of the story. I mean, in the midst of our holy curiosity of bringing God's kingdom to earth in big ways, like sometimes that that injustice, that fighting against injustice is bringing God's kingdom in like huge, enormous ways where we're fighting against policies, making policies that, that are hurting our, our brothers and sisters, oppressing those who are, who are the, the least of these. So we change policies as a way of bringing heaven to earth. But sometimes bringing heaven to earth is in the most simple ways of discipling our kids, of, of caring for those who have been neglected in this world, of having just simply good ethical practices in our workplaces, of being honest and kind and vulnerable in our friendships and in our relationships. Every time we do those things, we are bringing heaven to earth. And I know that for many of us, when we read, thou shall not perish, it's hard not to think of hell and how we avoid it for ourselves and how we avoid it for other people. But within that beautiful space of holy curiosity comes this abundant reality that includes I mean like sometimes I look at the holy curiosity and I'm like there's just too many questions I'll never get enough answers how will I ever get to that space where I finally feel satisfied in the way I believe but the thing is is that in the Bible you see both you see the Nicodemus who's like I just need to know that there's more than just following the rules and he'll never come to a place of complete satisfaction except in Christ yeah yeah But at the same time, in the same breath, we see the stories of people saying, all you need to do is call on the name of Jesus and be saved. Where there's a simplicity of faith. Where the holy curiosity is met in just Christ, and the holy curiosity is met in a deep theological understanding that is never, never, never satisfied. Both belong. Both belong. And I think that this is grace. And grace isn't just merely forgiveness of sins, just as following Jesus isn't just a one-time decision. Grace is about a way of life. Dallas Willard says that grace is God acting in my life to accomplish what I cannot accomplish on my own. Grace is God acting in my life to accomplish what I cannot accomplish on my own. 
And having a sense of holy curiosity like the Magi being led in the dark towards the light or like Nicodemus going out in the dark because he had a holy hunger and curiosity that led him towards this light. I think we too have a holy curiosity to navigate what it means to help fuse heaven and earth together until all things have been made right in this world, until Christ comes again. Last thought before we go into our time of response. When Jesus was crucified on that cross, when he was taking his last breaths, he shouts out this this phrase, it is finished. And it's like with anything that he had left in him, I mean, he's like hanging on the cross. He's already said, Father, forgive them because they don't understand what they're doing. He has nothing left. His blood is literally drained out of his body. And the last thing he says is, it is finished. And at that moment, the book of Matthew, the gospel writes of, of this curtain. And in the temple, the temple was believed, in Jerusalem was believed to house God. But God's presence was specifically housed in this one area of the temple called the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest, the most important leader in the entire church, and the entire temple, could go into the Holy of Holies one time a year. That was it. One person, one time a year, into the presence of God. And what separated the heavenly from the earthly was this huge, thick, heavy, weighted curtain. And when Jesus shouted out, it is finished, Matthew writes that the curtain was rendered in two. That it broke open, and the thing that kept God's presence back from earth was released into earth through Jesus Christ. And that means that any time that you submit your life before Jesus, when you invite Jesus into your life, when you invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of your life, to to give your life over to Christ, that heavenly realm invades your life, and therefore you bring heaven to earth wherever you're standing, in whatever you're doing, in any person that you interact with or or any interaction you have with any person or any, any place. You bring heaven to earth because heaven lives within you and so grace grace is the god of heaven acting in your life to accomplish on earth what you cannot accomplish on your own and when you act you can know that it's god who is acting in you and through you and it's not for your benefit it is for god's glory and goodness to be revealed on earth as it is in heaven And these are God's intentions so that none may perish, but all may come to abundant life. So Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for John 3.16, that that verse that has been overplayed, that we are breathing, that you are breathing new life into our lives with this. God, we give you our lives once again. And I thank you for these holy curiosities. I thank you that we never stop wondering and marveling at how vast and mysterious you truly are. And you're never put off by it, God, but you welcome it and you love it. And Jesus, I thank you that this is a community that's willing to grasp all of the questions and all of the wonderings with grace, with joy, as it brings us deeper into your presence, deeper into an awareness of your love. God, we are so honored that you've called us by name. May we honor you with our lives. For your glory, we pray these things. 
Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about ways that you can be involved with Catalyst, please visit our website at provokechange.org. Until next time, continue loving God, loving our neighbors, and loving each other.